Welcome to What The If. Philip Shane here, your host, and Matthew Stanley, professor from New York University, who's here as always. Technically true, yes. Technically true. Mm -hmm. And we welcome back with open arms uh, and open minds. Well, but open arms from six feet away. From <laughs> way, yeah, exactly, six kilometers away. Gabby Panicia hey. from Rockefeller University. How are you? How's Rockefeller today? Good. You know, socially distant. So I can see it from across the street. Oh, right. So far away. Very good. <laughs> um, we're so glad to have you back. Uh, we're going to jump right in. And we have one of the, I did not ever think we'd be in this situation. But uh, we are recording this on April 3rd, 2020. And uh, Matt and I are, oh, well, no, all of us are in New York. Mm -hmm. And um, we are living in the middle of a what the if scenario that we did not choose. Whoever's running this podcast. <laughs> this podcast are, called Life. This podcast <laughs> called Life that we are living in. Uh, you could stop anytime. But nope, still no response from the uh, podcast overlord. And so... Yeah. What the if? There was a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, it would never happen. That's totally implausible. <laughs> it's implausible. You know, we uh, uh, um, the episode that's actually I'm posting today. So uh, is the one we recorded with Tom Merritt, uh, technology journalist, back on March third, and so that was one month ago. I think it was four days later that the lockdown began or something. Something so, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the world is completely changed. I was literally listening back through that episode and just shocking how many things just seem weird and funny, but nonetheless, a fantastic episode. Excellent one. Um, and Gabby, we had you uh, last week. We, we learned Ooh. a lot. We went last week, if you haven't heard that episode or the previous episode, uh, was a fantastic voyage inside the COVID-19 virus. And uh, one of the things, Gabby, you taught us that, I, that, that has been incredibly valuable, actually, I have thought about it a lot, and that is that on the tip of a sharpened pencil, there were half a billion uh, virions. Yep. There are a lot of them. And, uh, and we learned so much more. So, since we're living in this scenario, we might as well explore it and learn what's happening. Uh, as with all our scenarios, we usually we uh, Matt, what do we do? We just to explain the the uh, yeah. Format. Usually we we change something about reality, like what if people had no feet, um, and then we run with it and see what the consequences of that uh, might be. And we usually end up like destroying the universe or something. Right. And the the thing we have yeah, fair enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> see. Ooh, this is a wicked sense of humor. Uh, um, it may be us from another universe that caused this situation. Oh, yeah, I could totally believe that. Alternate, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the thing about our ifs is that we throw them out, we, we toss them out onto the table, shall, shall we say. Now we wipe down the table, but still, we toss it out. <laughs> and we are immediately playing catch-up from our own creation. We are, you know, we're just thrown askew, and we have to figure out, okay, well, what's happened? Now that we have no feet, What's the world like? So now that we are 
suddenly living in this pandemic situation. Let's figure it out. So we can begin with where we are today, and that is uh, the New York Times headline I saw this morning was half of humanity under lockdown. So, Gabby, is that uh, the only way we really have to to uh, address this? Or actually, here, let me rephrase that. What is so so the the, the COVID nineteen community, the actual COVID nineteens, the billions, I mean, untold, yes. <laughs> countless numbers of them, they have a New York Times of their own. Um, mm. What might their headline be? Um, you know, I don't know, because viruses, you can't really imagine necessarily as some sort of hive mind. Um, ah. Like, as I said that last time, they're, they're kind of drifters. So I don't know if they'd successfully be able to run a news publication. Uh, I think you probably just hear like a lot of very, a lot of a sort of excitement from them. Um, just kind of an excited murmur. Yeah, yeah. There are there are like, news like, channels just, like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's actually a question. Are they happy about the fact that we're all at home or what would they prefer? Well, so they would prefer us out and about still sneezing on each other because um, okay. viruses really, really, really want to spread. Um, they don't necessarily care that they make us sick. And actually, if anything, the fact that we're cracking down on it because people are getting you know, dangerously sick, that's something that they would actually probably not want. Um, which is why you see previously like sort of ancient zoonotic viruses like this being selected against being super deadly. Um, so I'm sure like the common cold back when it jumped from camels like thousands of years ago was probably a lot more dangerous to get. And then it sort of chilled out over is it, time. Is it in fact the camel's fault? I believe it is the camel's fault. Oh, At least I knew it. Coronavirus. I, oh, yeah. I hate, I hate camels. Now I just have another reason <laughs> to hate camels. I feel I feel so I feel so justified now. And you're not speaking about the cigarettes. You're not talking about Joe Camel. No, no. I, I actually mean the the quadruped with the the hump. Um, <laughs> well, when you put it that, way. I had some bad camel experience. Oh, you do. Now you have to tell us about that. What was your bad camel but, experience? Um, well, I should say there it's, it's it's tangential. We can do a whole if on what what if Matt was accosted by a camel, and then I can <laughs> fill in the story. Yeah. Okay, the mind the mind runs wild. So mm-hmm. I'm writing that down. What if Matt was attacked <laughs> by a camel? Um, I will wait also for the Pixar version of that. I think it's going to be hilarious. So, <clears throat> yeah, actually, an, another thing I learned from from that episode, Gabby, that uh, where you. Uh, helped us understand viruses was this notion that they do not propel themselves. This was a completely, and I have told so many, the two things I've been telling people over and over and over again uh, from a distance via electronics mostly um, <laughs> is that there are half a billion on the tip of a pencil and also they don't go anywhere. It's, it's literally, uh, it's almost like pollen or something. There are just these yeah. little spiky balls laying around. Is that right? Um, yeah, pollen is a very good way to put it. Yeah, and and so tell, I've been hearing a lot about, uh, for instance, one of the things that makes you sick, whether you get sick or not, depends on what they call the viral load, or basically how many of these things you might have ingested at one time. Is mm-hmm. that what, what? Tell us about that for people who have no idea what that is. So that essentially means how many viruses are floating around in your system, um, and it doesn't necessarily always have to deal with how many of them you get exposed to originally. Um, 
but it also can mean how many of them are currently in your body. So for example, um, people with younger immune systems or no underlying conditions might be able to sort of tamp down on that a lot. Um, they might be able to mount sort of a more robust response that sort of prevents the virus from amplifying so extremely. Um, but if you can't really do that, then it's going to just keep amplifying and you're going to wind up with a whole bucket full of viruses um, sort of floating in and around your cells. Um, so that's more what they mean by like viral load. Right. And and I'm uh, still a little bit confused exactly what happened. So the virus, the virus does not multiply. Is that correct? Well, it, it does. It or does. does. It does. Um, okay. But it doesn't necessarily matter how many. It doesn't matter as much, I don't think, how many you're originally infected with. One or 10 or 100 necessarily, um, as much as it affects later how your body's able to stop it. So say, I mean, this is probably, you know, a dramatic underestimation, but say your body's able to stop it when it reaches 100 viruses as opposed to 100,000 viruses, uh, then you're going to have a pretty wide range of, of symptoms uh, between the 100 and, you know, 100,000. Right. And so, and it multiplies, does it multiply when it infects a, reg a normal cell? Yep. That's what it, it does. That cell yeah. becomes like a virus factory and starts cranking them out. So what right. determines whether or not it's effective at replicating itself? What's different between, say, you and me? So that can be a bunch of different things. Um, well, Gabby's as trained in, in replicating <laughs> that. Yeah, well, well, I mean, they're not always super cooperative. I did fail at making dengue for a while this semester, um, <laughs> which is not what most people want to do with yeah. their time. <laughs> is, uh, play with vials full of dengue. Um, no, but so it... As a species, we're not, you know, homogenous. We do have a bunch of different genetics. Um, and so there might be small changes between you or me that gives one of us a slight advantage um, in recognizing this virus um, and sort of destroying it beforehand. Um, also, general, I guess, immune fitness. There are some people who don't really have good immune systems um, or are on medication to suppress that, which would definitely limit their ability to mount a response that would be able to shut down the virus before it really gets off the ground running. Mm -hmm. um, All right. So I think one of the things that um, people have been puzzling about with uh, COVID-19 is that men are more, seem to be more affected than women. So is it that like on the Y chromosome, there's some sequence that creates a particular protein that is more amenable to this particular virus? Or is well, it, we're just so, dumb, we're just dumber, less sophisticated. <laughs> if anything, it might actually be the opposite. Um, so we, sex differences in stuff like this is always notoriously really hard to measure because there's so many other confounding things. Um, but uh, people with two X chromosomes have the advantage of the fact that they have sort of double the usual functional gene load. The X chromosome is pretty big, um, definitely bigger than the Y chromosome, which is pretty tiny. Um, and so you might, there might be more, you know, genetic redundancy. So for example, if there's something that, um, someone with an X and Y chromosome is missing on their X, they can't get it from their Y, um, where people with two X chromosomes have sort of the extra buffer. Um, I also think that might be at least like when I was originally reading some of that data, it was coming out of China where it was a lot more common for men to smoke. So it might be a oh, sort of cultural, mm -hmm. uh, confounding that. Any, any sort of cultural thing that leads to, you know, someone having damaged lungs, i.e. the part that's really affected by this, would then uh, have a harder time fighting it off. Okay. I'll buy that. That's interesting that in China, the women don't smoke, but the men do. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, 
in this, <laughs> I'm learning basic, basic rudimentary facts. Uh, I can't be the only one in the audience, but that the Y chromosome is so much smaller than the X. This is news yeah, to me. It's tiny, and unfortunately, it's shrinking. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know wow. millions and millions of years, but it's it's. I think it has technically gotten a little bit smaller. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating. So um, the virus gets into the cell and starts multiplying, and uh, it seemed like, in a way, that the individual bodies. Uh, one person's ability to fight the the one thing that might decide whether a person's going to get very sick or not sick or not very sick uh, is similar to the way, for instance, the government has or has not, or the society, whether whoever's either voluntarily or through government action, uh, acts. It's it's like a race at the be in the early stages of the race makes a huge difference. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Um, is there something about the workings of the virus, the mechanics of the virus itself, that we do not understand that we are hoping to learn that could change our power over them? <laughs> well, I mean, at least with this in particular, there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet because it actually happens to be pretty funky. Um, not in like a super like completely elusive way, but there's a lot of things about it that make it really interesting from a purely academic sense. Um, from a social sense, I'm frustrated because I've been stuck inside. Um, but <laughs> from, a, from an academic sense, I mean, for one, you don't get viruses that jump into people that usually have such overall very not severe symptoms. I mean, I think like 80% of people get over this without being hospitalized. Meanwhile, like Ebola, SARS, MERS, which are viruses that jumped, they really knock us out. Uh, right. You know, so that's kind of new. Um, two, why people seem to get such a range of symptoms is another thing that, like, we don't really know yet. Um, we have a lot of theories, obviously, but I think some of it may come down to um, our immune system sometimes gets a little bit too worked up over stuff. Um, and it might be a combination of for some people, their immune system fails. And for like young people who get sick and have to be hospitalized, it might be that our immune systems are overactive maybe. And Interesting. we're causing a lot of crazy damage inside. Right. Um, but this is like all conjecture because we don't, we can't mount really comprehensive immunological studies on people right now. We're worried on just like preserving our healthcare workers and making sure people don't get sick. Um yeah, yeah. So speaking of studies, like if, if everything was calm and someone discovered a new virus, how long would it take to sort of learn these important things about a virus? So it kind of depends. I always say on how many scientists you can recruit to the task. Mm -hmm. um, because, right. for example, we kind of discovered this COVID-19 essentially, more or less, in like April um, of last year. We oh. Whoa. Blocked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a year ago. Fact, Fun, yeah. yeah, fun fact for the people who aren't scientists, um, which I hope this doesn't make you mad. <laughs> but we, the people do virus surveillance um, and they try to monitor viruses that they're concerned about. And so people do this huge study on, I think they're called horseshoe bats um, in China. And they were pulling out coronaviruses and they were sequencing them and they were trying to figure out one of, if any of them seemed like they could bind to people. And then they actually started testing um, the serum, which essentially is like, uh, like plasma when you spin down blood, that you would find antibodies mm -hmm. in that, essentially. Um, and they were finding that locals in the area 
um, presented with antibodies against some of these viruses. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so hmm. it's possible that we like, and we have these studies are kind of they can be kind of slow. So this work probably was started, you know, six eight months before they were able to publish it. And actually, someone announced it at a meeting. Uh, I think like around like June where they were discussing it and they're like, hey, this could potentially be a problem. And then, you know, six months later, hello, COVID-19. Wow. Um, so, so scientists moved so, a little bit faster than necessarily us being able to do any societal change. Because sometimes it's hard to convince people. Now, does but, adding more scientists to the problem actually help? Because like in, in programming, for instance, or software development, <laughs> there's a rule that the more software engineers you add to a project, the longer it takes to get done. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that's true with virology. It can be to some extent, but there's also a lot of different facets to look at it from. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are some people who are always going to be doing base virology, virus on cells and culture. Then there are going to be some people who are working with people who are infected. Then there are going to be some people um, doing protein crystallizations and like structural biology. Um, and then there's going to be the vaccine and antiviral people. Um, so if you can sort of corner the market of trying to grab as many of those people as possible, scientists can work fast. And I think probably the best example of that doesn't come from this necessarily because we're not out of the woods yet, although it will probably. Um, but previously, the best example is really the AIDS epidemic. Um, a lot of scientists oh, came together and created yeah. um, effective antivirals um, with basically zero basis. I mean, I think like, retroviruses had only been discovered a handful of years before. Right. No, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I should say viral surveillance sounds like you all sit in an unmarked van <laughs> outside the, the, the virus center or something. I don't know if it's really that glamorous considering the work that people had to do with bats. I could imagine that was a lot of guano. Um, <laughs> probably wasn't too glamorous, but yeah, it does sound pretty cool. So it's interesting. So you mentioned a number of things that you said were unusual about this virus. And I must say one thing about the uh, the news coverage has been that there, as is often the case, there's not a lot of context, like even, or, or comparison, just like, you know, this many people are going to die today. It sounds bad, but honestly, you have no idea, like more people die today, or more people will die from this than died in Vietnam and Vietnam and Korean wars combined. I don't, the does that say something about those wars also? I mean, you know, this is all just sort of like, it's meaningless. Um, as opposed to saying, no, this is what's unusual, or no, this is how it always is. Either way, you're learning something. So you mentioned that um, uh, how fast it spreads, for instance, uh, is, is clearly, that's clearly unusual. I remember well, there's it's, an- It's not the ahead. fastest. I mean, measles oh, okay. is crazy. So measles, ah, so there's, a, there's right. a term in virology called the R naught. It's essentially the reproductive spreading rate. How many people can an infected person infect? For measles, it's like a dozen. If you have measles, everyone you know is gonna have measles. Um, it's why, you know, people need to get that, that shot. Um, and I think like for herd immunity to work with measles, I think like over 95% of the population needs to be immune to measles in order to prevent it from taking over. The R naught for COVID-19 is lower. We think it's closer to two or three, which is kind of close to the flu. I think the flu is like one or two. Um, but it's also really hard to tell right now um, because of a lack of adequate testing. It may be higher um, or it just may be that more people have been 
Like it's been going on for longer than we expected. More people got infected. Therefore, it's been spreading to two people and two people and two people for longer um, as opposed to it spreading like four and then another four and then another four. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not the fastest growing virus we've ever had. We've huh. definitely experienced crazier. Um, but it is fast enough and also in the beginning wasn't serious enough for most people why, is why it became a perfect storm. Yeah, I got to say, it's amazing watching, you know, on YouTube, you could watch uh, news, live news, live news from around the world, right? Mm -hmm. So you can watch Australian TV, you can watch uh, China, news from China and Japan, all, all over the world at the same time. I mean, I've never seen a situation, this says something too about just how connected the world is, but that you can basically, quote, change the channels or flip from country to country to continent to continent and see the exact same news story yeah <laughs> uh, different they're at different places like i remember i was watching the australian news the other day and they were like we've had eight deaths you know it seems so quaint for us yeah. you know? um but uh yeah that is an in incredible thing did measles this may be outside your wheelhouse so to speak but did measles or or smallpox or these other things did they sweep the globe in the way this well, one did I don't necessarily know as much. And I think part of that might have to do with just the world wasn't really as global in the past. And also right. they, they yeah. weren't yeah. new at the time mm -hmm. that they kept infecting people. Um, yeah, yeah. So th they, typically they, you would get um, local outbreaks of measles yeah. and smallpox. So like a whole city would get measles and everybody would stay inside for a month or something. Um, and then hopefully it would... Uh, burn itself out. But uh, as Gabby says, this, these were in times before it was easy for people to get from point A to point B. Um, but now in this globalized world, um, an outbreak, like the outbreak that we're going through right now would never have made it out of Wuhan 100 years ago, right? Uh -huh. It would have just stayed local. Um, so mm -hmm. this is the price we pay for our cheap goods. Right? Yeah. And actually not, you know, if, if we're talking, go far enough back in time before even before the telegraph or whatever it's the kind of thing that might have happened to a place and then just become a legend you know to yeah. the pe to people who live on the other side of the mountains just say oh something bad happened there once a thousand years ago you know um and they might have a myth about it or something uh the um what was i gonna say uh matt you you would know more but for instance world war one I, I my understanding is that the 1918 flu which is the one we keep referring to the 1918 pandemic uh was very much exacerbated by World War One, where people. That's were... exactly right. Because with the war came move large uh, numbers of large numbers of people moving from place to create place around the globe, yeah. right? So when the British Empire brings conscripts in from India to fight, um, they pick up the virus, the flu virus, and then when they go home at the end of the war, they bring virus back to India. Um, so the world was was a different kind of globalization at the time, but it was precisely the same sort of problem. Um, so, for instance, uh, one of the the major contributors to the the spreading of the flu was that um, the United States Army would not turn back troop ships that it knew were infected. Like they knew the troops on that ship had the flu, but they would not turn them around. Um, so you can actually track like where those infected soldiers went and then see the the outbreaks from there. Ah, okay. I guess that explains some of the crazy, the, 
I guess what I was thinking is hysteria, but you're saying maybe is not that not letting ships land lately has also been a controversial. No, um, but that's, uh, I mean, that this that, that is literally a thousand year old practice of if you think a ship is contaminated, you do not let them in. This is actually where the word quarantine comes from. Um, oh. Was this practice of um, uh, keeping uh, ships from? So if, if a ship wanted to dock, um, you forced it to dock on like an outlying island, and it had to stay there for forty days. Hence, quarantine. Yep. Ah, that's interesting. It's from the Black Death, right? That was when they first started that practice, really heavily. I think. Matt, Matt's thinking. Yeah, that's right. So it was, it was a plague problem. <laughs> just, just want to make sure we got a full shout out to the Black Death. Uh, <laughs> proper, proper. Give credit where credit is due. Um, you, Gabby, you mentioned that there were certain things that were mysterious, intriguing about this particular virus. And what are some of those? Are those things we can understand when you talk about when, when you look at it? What do you, what do you and your colleagues say? Whoa, what is that? I mean, I think like it's not like necessarily visually weird or uh -huh. genetically uh -huh. weird. Um, it's just like the overall set of effects that it causes is pretty unique, um, especially compared to other ones in its class. Like human infectious coronaviruses range from the common cold uh, to SARS and MERS. Um, and so this one falls sort of response-wise kind of in the middle. It's not a murder virus per se. It's not going to just, you know, wipe us off the face of the earth. Um, but it is able to produce like such a, a really dramatic uh, set of side effects in certain people, um, which is something that, you know, it's people are actively trying to study right now with as many people as they possibly can. Um, but it, it's kind of a hard thing to to work on. Um, and also too, there's the sort of the interesting thing of um, the receptors that it binds to, ACE, ACE2, um, we, these are proteins in our body that it uses to get into the cell. Um, it, there, ACE2 receptors are actually in a lot of different places in our body. So they're in our lungs, but they're also in, I think like liver, they're in our, like our GI tract. Um, but we don't always see symptoms corresponding to every place that has um, a high ACE2 expression. So, for example, you don't see a lot of, like, like I think, like, GI-related side effects are pretty rare. Like, there's not a lot of people with COVID-19 and diarrhea. Um, so it seems it's, you know, trying to tease out why specifically certain areas of the body are more affected than others is also something that I'm sure people are working on. But, again, it's it's hard to run studies with whole people and you know, you're worried about getting infected yourself right now. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I don't know that that news about that, that this virus is, is not likely connected to diarrhea got out there because the toilet paper thing was <laughs> toilet paper hysteria oh <laughs> out God. of control. Out of control. I think it was blocked by Big TP. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they shut that news down. One of my what? friends ran out of toilet paper at the beginning of this. I felt so bad for oh. him hunting for like weeks. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I can report from a, um, I, I'm not going into stores frequently at all, but I did pop into the pharmacy, the Dwayne Reed, the local sort of pharmacy, Walgreens, also known as Walgreens. They now have so much toilet paper and paper towels. You can, I'm serious. You can barely walk in the store. You have to like navigate around pallets and pallets of this stuff. All right. That's so, a weird problem. Yeah. 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 Um, Gabby, one of the things that, uh, 
uh, a lot of people complain about if they say we've got these wonder drugs antibiotics right why don't we have something like an antibiotic that can uh, cure this virus the way i'm cured of a sinus infection what's different right. or like every every virus seems to need a bespoke <laughs> yeah. custom thing is that right so bacteria are their own organism um so there's a, I guess, a very interesting way of putting it. Um, bacteria can be poisoned because they're alive. Viruses can only be destroyed or slowed, um, which oh, sort of right. terrifying in a way when you phrase mm -hmm. it like that. Um, yeah. Because bacteria have metabolisms, there's certain things they need to make all the time or they die. Um, and so by feeding them essentially poison, you can kill them pretty easily. Um, because they're trying to replicate. And of course, there are some problems with that because, you know, some are resistant, meaning they learn not to eat your poison or they learn how to digest it. Mm. Um, or they go quite, like they just stop their metabolism. They sort of go into hibernation and then they wait out you taking your antibiotics and then <laughs> um, they come back. So the bacteria can do some wonky stuff. The, the thing about viruses though, is that um, because their life cycles are kind of quirky because they don't really carry a lot of stuff with them. Um, we do have to find the, the very few contact points where we can get them. And also too, because, you know, they rely a lot on our exploiting similarities in our biology, um, sort of whether or not they become similar to us or just by exploiting things that we already have. We can't target those things without killing ourselves um, in, the, in some viruses cases. Um, so sometimes it can be difficult finding um, a compound that's going to get into your cells um, is go is not going to affect them. It's going to exclusively affect the virus. Um, and that's going to do enough of anything to really make a difference. Um, so okay. that that's kind of why. Okay. Is this like, so is this like a Terminator problem where it's, it's hard to get rid of the killer robot because it's not really alive, so you can't kill it? You know, kind of, kind of. I mean, it's one of these things too where like it's hard to make a uniform antiviral because viruses are not from a linear family tree. So we have like a family tree. Viruses oh, have I a see. bunch of scattered family mm -hmm. bushes, it okay. seems like. We don't huh. think they're all related to each other. Wow. Um, it might be multiple events created multiple different types of viruses. Um, so it's not like you can target them all the same way. Um, and so like, for example, in my undergrad, I worked on sort of making a prototype antiviral thing. Um, but for a virus that goes quiet, like bacteria can. Um, and so it just becomes essentially a loop of virus DNA attached to your chromosome. And you can't, you can't target that with antivirals because it's not making anything. There's nothing to target. Um, and it only replicates a handful of times. Uh, all right. So maybe it's like a lazy killer robot. Well, I'm yeah, thinking it's some more, of them, some of them. even less Terminator and more like Cheeto dust. <laughs> Like, or, you know, it's like something you, you get on or honey or something. It's something you get on your hands, for instance. And no matter what you do, it's everywhere. But so the Cheetos, you're eating Cheetos, these, these delicious. It's, it's, Cheetos must be known around the world. Question to our listeners. Do you have Cheetos? These little <laughs> crackers, you get all that orange dust all over you, right? And it's all over you. It's all over your shirt. It's all over your pillow because, of course, that's you were eating it in bed and you shouldn't be even though you were told not to. Um, and in fact, my, Im my image is starting to be of these things like, um, it's so funny because like, the trees are in, in New York. We, it is spring. It's springtime here. It's quite beautiful, actually, when it's a nice day. And some of the trees, I don't know 
what kind they are, I should find out. But they have uh, little seed packets that look look like the corona virus, <laughs> right? They're little round balls with spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow, right? There's, there's zillions of them hanging from the tree right now. Um, so I felt like, oh, they're like these little, or, or uh, what do you call this? Just, if you go, if you walk in the woods or something, you can get like these little sticker things on you, right? Mm-hmm. And they just get in. And the big difference is that these multiply, that the virus multiplies um, something that the little sticker bushes inside you aren't. But it's as mindless as that, right? They're just in there. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about, um, you know, if we want to disinfect a surface, we're talking about yes. kill, killing the yes. virus. So what, do we, what does it mean to kill something that is not alive? And yes. what is it that actually keeps the virus from doing its thing? So Good. this is where that's destroying the virus. So once it's inside your cell, it's kind of safe to sort of treat it a little bit more like it's alive, if only because mm. it's puppeteering you and you're alive. Um, which is, again, terrifying to phrase it that way. Um, but when it's on a surface, that's when it can be really, like, destroyed. Um, and so that's why soap, it's made of, it, it's able to break apart, essentially, the the fatty layer that it has. Um, bleach, similarly, um, will sort of break it apart, denature it. Because um, it relies on its genetic information being essentially in one piece and legible. <sighs> Um, and uh, okay. you can awesome. bleach yeah. it. Some of them you could just spray with ethanol. I think, mm-hmm. I think it works for this one too. Um, and that will disrupt it, destroy it, mess up the DNA. Um, that's also partially why we UV stuff. Um, UV creates, um, I think UV it's light. crosslinks. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. UV light. Mm-hmm. Um, putting it on there creates, uh, I believe it's crosslinks between the nucleotides, which prevent sometimes it being read correctly, it being copied correctly. Um, oh, that's interesting. I figured the UV photons just broke up the the well, long protein can. chains. I think it has to do with um, when it gets repaired. Sometimes it causes problems. Huh, that's um, interesting. So it, it it essentially functionally it, it reduces the functionality of um, what's put into it to the point where it can. Mm-hmm. Okay, get so so back basically, out. what we have to do is we we take a chemical or something something that's nasty enough that it mm-hmm. literally rips apart the inner structure of the virus. Yeah, basically, about or, or okay. the outer structure or anything, any part of it that's really critical. What's fortunate about that is that, you know, viruses are very pared down organisms. They're very efficient. Um, and so destroying it a little bit is usually enough, um, which is mm. why we're able to do oh, it okay. with, you know, what a 10% bleach. Um, you don't have to douse your entire apartment in mm-hmm. bleach kill it like okay uh, yeah. so they're actually pretty delicate so uh, that's interesting yeah. so their simplicity both makes them hard to kill and easy to destroy <laughs> kind of at the yeah, same yeah, time that's right? exactly the way that i would phrase it yeah it's a very weird balance um but it's part of what makes them really interesting it's and just like annoying. the space invaders yeah. Yeah, or you know alien, alien obviously movie aliens are often that's right. They have that, that the one special weakness, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, exactly. This, they're, yeah, it's so their it's, numbers that are the, the problem. Yeah, that's right. And it's, so, uh, even though, as you say, a simple bleach solution will kill it on the surface, we can't inject bleach into our bodies oh, to God, kill it no, there, don't right? Eat bleach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, just to our listeners, do not inject yourself with bleach to try and fix this. Yeah, or or for any other reason, don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. 
I'd have to really think about that. But yes, there are probably not many good reasons. Right, there's yourself. not many. Bleach. Yeah, we, we have, until we find one, don't. Um, yeah, that's right. Don't eat Tide Pods. <laughs> oh God, yeah. People try to um, eat fish tank cleaners. I know that was that terrible. Help, which was like, oh God, no. Oh, that was that was horrible. Um, it, it's interesting because it really sounds like what the virus is is that the analogy to a computer virus is very apt. Yeah. Or the, the the fact that computer the, whoever programmers chose that word virus for these runaway computer programs, uh, a computer program a computer virus is just a program. It's not alive, and yeah. that's exactly what this these viruses and are. Right? I guess to continue yeah. sort of the bleach thing, like if you have this thing on a flash drive, essentially like a virion, you can take a hammer to that flash drive and it'll work. That's bleach. But if you infect your computer with the virus that's on it. You can only either take a hammer to your entire computer, which is not going to help anyone, yep. or you can work through actually sifting it out and finding it, which is kind of hard. All right. That's uh, a helpful analogy. Yeah. So drink, <laughs> drink, drinking bleach to get rid of coronavirus is like taking a hammer to your hard drive to get rid of the, yep. the virus that you accidentally downloaded. It doesn't really solve your problem. Well, it kind of does, but not it in the does, way you want. It but not in the way you want. <laughs> yes, that's right. Or it's like burying that video game cartridge ET in the desert in a dump. Eventually, it comes back. You see, <laughs> nothing, nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Um, so, let's. Uh, la lastly, talking about this way of destroying it, um, we'll just touch on this, and then, and then we'll continue more uh, next week um, on this exploring this incredible what the if. Um, bring in Ilya. Um, so, uh, if you. The way to kill it is so we're going to have a vaccine. And that vaccine is what? Is that vaccine actually uh, white blood cells or is it the... I've never quite understood what so, is that vaccine. Yeah. There's a difference. So there's two ways to approach essentially getting rid of a virus. There's treatment, which is antivirals. Uh, and then there's vaccines, which are prevention. So the vaccine doesn't necessarily directly kill the virus. Oh. It might be in your body. Huh. And essentially, vaccines you get before you get sick. It's oh. not really much of a help to anyone who right. is... Right, it's, pre it's preventative rather than curative, yeah. right? Okay. So there's a couple of different ways that we're actually currently approaching developing a vaccine for this. Um, one of the things that we're doing is we're looking at people who have gotten sick and gotten better, and we're looking at the antibodies that they have. Um, and I think some people are trying to make like a serum-based antivirus, like anti like a vaccine where you essentially give antibodies to people from other people who have been sick. Um, and we can develop ways in lab to, you know, basically create little antibody factories. Um, so we could just be injecting people with antibodies, which doesn't always last for a very long amount of time. That would be like a short-term get us through the crisis situation of we have like stockpiles of like antibodies and virals that we can just give to our healthcare workers so they can keep working. Mm. Um, it wouldn't be like a huge expanded thing. Most other like vaccine, at least conventional vaccines, are bits of the virus that your body would see if you got infected with it um, that essentially let you recognize it before you've ever seen it. Uh, it's sort of like handing your body a wanted poster and being like, be on the lookout. <laughs> and then when, you know, coronavirus okay. comes into your body, it's like, ah, it's that guy. Get him. Um, okay. But the wanted poster isn't very helpful once you discover he's already in your house, right? So. Yeah. Then you've got another problem. Out. Yeah. Now you should get out of the house. <laughs> um, well, and then uh, one of the ways that's really neat that people are working on right now is an mRNA-based vaccine, um, which requires a lot of, like, careful work. People have been toying it with it for a while. 
Um, but rather than using a virus that's been heat killed or part of a virus that's been heat killed or just part of the proteins from it, they actually give you in like a, a little lipid fatty nanoparticle thing, part of the mRNA of the virus and through assorted cellular nonsense, um, it gets taken up. Your cells make that fraction and stick it on the outside of them. Um, and your immune system goes through its normal routine of recognizing that. And so it's kind of like, um, I guess it's a little bit more like faxing you a wanted poster as opposed to like injecting <laughs> you. Right, yeah, you, you don't out. have to go to the post office to see the wanted poster gets delivered to or you. Or it's yeah. even it's yeah. even like we have a we have a criminal in the area who's uh doing this very specific kind of robbery. So let's bring in police who are trained in that and let's just keep them around just to make yeah. sure. Or, or like a sketch chance. artist. Like, you know, ah. someone has a description and then you have to write up this, like, cause you know, you get the MRNA description and then you have right. to be this, your body has to be the sketch artist and draw that up. And then, you know, it's, it'll be recognized. And, and this is like a newer way of approaching vaccines. Um, people have been toying with it for a while and, you know, working on different approaches um, but those are probably the main one, main ones that we'd see. Fascinating, fascinating. So, uh, yeah, next week, we, and, and um, we're excited to have you for a number of episodes going forward. And very excited. Very grateful for your um, helping us out, helping us understand this thing as we are living in the if. <laughs> bum bum bum. Living the if, uh, and hopefully you are living the if, and not anything else. Um, so. Uh, Gavi, thank you so much, and thank you to your colleagues. Is is there uh, some sort? Of, there must be some some unit that has Rockefeller thrown a bunch of people on this, or is it? Oh yeah, there's like seventeen there? labs working on stuff. It's really incredible, actually. Like, because I mean, of course, they're they're trying to work as as fast as they possibly can. Um, and and the lab I'm, I'm currently in right now, uh, the Rice Lab, they have like a big group of people, um, working on it and trying to develop some tools and they're right now overhauling like their whole like uh, BSL-3, which is like a containment facility protocol to essentially now work with respiratory viruses like this. Wow. Um, so they have a little bit of administrative work to go through as they're trying to bring themselves up to speed as fast as possible and start making virus. Do you send spunky but underestimated researchers out into the field to find a critical piece of data necessary to their work? <laughs> Uh, not yet, but I think the spunky but underestimated researchers are already currently maybe in the field. I mean, no, no, okay. no, it's Rockefeller. Right. It's kind of hard to underestimate them. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of documentaries, you know, starring Dustin Hoffman and things about this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, yeah, for, and if you don't know about Rockefeller University, I recommend you look it up. It's got an incredible history um, of, you know, dealing with major, major scientific advances, often at, at turning points of crises like this. Um, and uh, image-wise, by the way, if you look at, you know, people outside New York, you're used to looking, or even in New York, you may not know. If you look at the skyline of Manhattan, I happen to live right across the river, uh, across the East River, so I look over there, and I see it happens to be that an enormous number of hospitals are built along the water's edge. Uh, I guess there was space there. And uh, over the years, there also happens to be the United Nations. People are very familiar with that. If you can picture that and uh, you look to the right, if you're on the water and you look to the north, you will see hospital, 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 and right smack in the middle there is also Rockefeller University with a magnificent campus all along the water. And I happen to know because I edited a video that they used to raise money to make this super cool new 
lab space, right, which basically they built over the highway, over the FDR highway for two full city blocks. And it's several floors and it's all glass. And so I know if you happen to be able to look in there or you're right, lucky enough to ride a tugboat or something alongside, you would just see all these people doing all that work. And in every university, I'm guessing, in every every place where they can do it around the world, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. They have their little sign over the FDR, uh, which is always amusing because uh, when I was a lot younger in undergrad and really wanted to go there, I was like, I, I remember driving under it. I was like, oh, I want to go there someday. Uh, no, I'm a grad student there. And it's like, oh, yay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, so um, thank you, Gabby. And thank you to all those people out there who are doing in, uh, right across the street from you or wherever, including you doing all this work. It's amazing. Uh, to everyone who's listening, I hope you are well. Uh, do write us, do write in. Um, a lot of you we've heard from before. We'd love to catch up and just make sure everybody's okay, how you're doing. Uh, if you have not, e either way, e e whether you know or not, you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. Um, feedback at whattheif.com. Or if it's easier for you, you can go to our website, which you should do anyway, whattheif.com. And you can listen to all our other episodes. Um, many, many, many things, um, both to learn about things like current events like this, or take your mind away and learn about fanciful things like what if a McDonald's hamburger wrapper were found on the moon? For instance. <laughs> For instance. Those are the kinds of urgent issues we used to worry about in, in the old world. Uh, <laughs> so, Gabby, you are going to receive another finger puppet. <laughs> I don't think you... Have you gotten the first one yet? Did I say... Not yet, I don't not think. Not yet. You, yeah, okay. The males are a little slow at the moment, but, but yeah. that's great. You'll have a whole collection of these. By the you can have at least one hand's worth, five fingers worth uh, uh, of puppets. We'll see. Um, and I think those are as good as masks, I think, for your fingers. Yes. Finger puppet, it's a mask for Well, it's fingers. like I can assemble a glove, like an infinity gauntlet. of. Uh, yes. Fingers. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's just yes. what we want. And also, if you need it, you know, if they, 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 I like to send science characters uh so you know you could have a little scientific committee if you have if you need like an instant feedback you know you could have galileo and uh, marie curie both re respond to you if that starts <laughs> to happen you might want to check yourself into a different kind of hospital. yeah my, my roommate might need to to really reassess how i'm going <laughs> cheers to your roommate uh matt anything to plug or any any um if uh i don't know i'm sitting at home all day staring at screens video conferencing so um no. And the family, the kids are taking school from home, right? It's a whole... Uh, they are. Um, we're all uh, simultaneously video conferencing. So Zoe's doing chemistry, Maya's doing history. We're talking about viruses. It's amazing. See, be careful what you wish for, right? I dreamed of video. Imagine video telephones. It'll be incredible. Be careful what you wish for. And I also see, by the way, in our audience, if you want to say a quick howdy, Howard and Ilya are here. They are our incredible, the incredible team members. Ilya, how are you? Hi, pretty good. Everybody should know that this, uh, that uh, Ilya Zhang is bringing you all those fabulous notes on the website, which the show notes. So go check those out at whattheif.com and she's adding amazing additional material. Um, and uh, Howard, either Howard or Ilya, anything you'd like to plug? What's a, uh, uh, a piece of entertainment or education that you can recommend to people during these times? It could be totally fun or not. I'm in midterms right now, so that's kind of not something that I know at this moment. Don't recommend midterms. 
That's right. But if anybody wants to take Ilya's midterms for her, then drop us a right line. Right on. Exactly. My essays are due. Yes. Like <laughs> Those guys do amazing work, as does uh, Kyle Crichton, who helps us enormously. He makes all the cover art, and he's helping us with audio and writing the rest of the text and the website, all kinds of other stuff. You guys are all amazing, as are you, sir. Matthew Stanley and Gabby, thank you very much. Stay tuned. Subscribe if you haven't uh, already. Whattheif.com. You can also subscribe to all your things there. Let us know how you're doing. Thank you for listening. And now we don't even have to imagine horrifying ifs. That's right. They're all around us. We are surrounded by (laughs) billions of them or just one big billions of copies of the same Borg uh, uh, situation. So when we end, we have a ritual in which we summon the white blood cells of our nature <laughs> to defend us from uh, the, the horrifying flying ifs of unknown form in which, and Gabby, actually all of us, uh, Howard and Ilya, if you would all join us, we will now scream the shame. Scream the shame. <laughs> That's an entirely different episode. What a shame. <laughs> scream the name of the show and audience, join us as well, listeners. We scream the name very slowly. Here we go. What? What? Uh, uh, uh.